The Athletic. Pedri, la baja Day four at this remarkable World Cup and Japan leave Germany, Qatar wall in with performance as tidy as their dressing room. Elsewhere, Spain get their freak on against the Costa Ricans, Canada almost get something from Belgium and we got stuff done during Morocco-Croatia. It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. Right, listener, it's Wednesday night. We've just had day four at the World Cup. On the way, we've got voices from Qatar, from Tokyo, Lisbon, and even a little bit of London in the shape of Duncan Alexander and Sasha Gurionov. Hello. Evening, James. Hello to you, Sasha. All right, Duncan. Hello. All right. What a day, eh? What a day in the World Cup, the day that we learned that Julia Hoylet's at Reading. What, what else stood out for you today, Sasha? For me, the moment was when Takumi Minamino found himself in space on the left in the Germany box. That was it. That was the moment. All right. It was a, a match packed with moments. That one. We'll be talking about it in depth very shortly. But Duncan, for you? Uh, I'm enjoying that there's still no goals from outside the box at this World Cup. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a competition that's respecting expected goals, which is all we, all we need and want, really. Excellent. The results from Wednesday were... A goalless draw to begin things between Morocco and Croatia. That's in Group F. It's the third scoreless game of the tournament so far. Also in that group, Belgium beating Canada 1-0. Meanwhile, in Group E, Japan came from behind to down Germany 2-1. And then Spain went and put seven goals past Costa Rica at Spain's biggest ever win at the World Cup. We're going to begin, though, with events at the Khalifa Stadium. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Takuma Asano. What a wonderful phrase. There you go. Japan, who had gone behind to an Ilkay Gundogan penalty, but hung on through a first-off flurry of German chances, then somehow in the second half turned the game around through Ritterdorn and the aforementioned Asano Wolf. Subarashi! Uh, we'll get to some German reaction very, very shortly, but first, on the line from Tokyo, it's the Athletics Japan correspondent, Dan Orlowitz. Dan, put into words what just happened at the Khalifa Stadium. This was history. This was arguably the greatest result that Japan's national team has ever achieved. I should say Japan's men's national team has ever achieved. I'm stunned. To be honest, I think we all thought that this was, of the two previous World Cup champions, Japan has to play in this group. I think that Germany always seemed a bit more achievable in terms of, well, if you get the draw from this opener, then you can beat Costa Rica and then you have four points going into the final game against Spain. That was, I think, the expected path. But this was incredible. Um, absolutely astonishing. The first half, I think even a draw looked the, the stuff of science fiction. How did it turn around? 
it all came down to the substitutions. I think a lot of us have slagged on Hajime Moriyasu, the head coach, for especially in the first half, it was very conservative. The defense looked scattered. Hiroki Sakai on the on the right side, he was getting exposed quite frequently. And then they switched to this three-back system, uh, brought on Takehiro Tomiyasu, the Arsenal defender, and put him uh, in position there and switched to a three-back, which we don't really see from Japan. We, we have occasionally uh, in qualifying and in the run-in. Uh, and then you had Kaori Mitoma coming on, you had Takuma Asano coming on, uh, you had Takumi Minamino coming on. And they all clicked. They all did exactly what they were capable of doing, uh, which is something that we didn't, again, we didn't quite expect. I think a lot of us had high expectations because we see the potential in these attackers, but you, you weren't quite sure in that first half, well, can they turn it on? And boy, did they. They absolutely did. And, and the way that their confidence built and the way that their threat, their attacking threat developed in those those final minutes was was quite remarkable to watch. This is a team that came into the tournament uh, having been beaten by by Canada. What, what were the expectations? Where will they be now, do you think? I think with this win, I wouldn't have said it with confidence before the tournament, but I think this, the Samurai Blue are going to get to the round of 16. They can absolutely get it done against Costa Rica, and that's not to put down Costa Rica because they are going to be a tough side, and that can be a trap game. But I think this was the game. If they were going to shock one of their opponents, either Germany or Spain, uh, it was going to be tonight, and they did. And so I think that at this point, Japan are playing with house money, and they can go as far in this tournament as they want to. Wow, which I imagine is quite a long way. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us with that uh, On The Whistle report. Thanks for having me. Dan, all of it. There we go. Right. Wow, there you go. That was Dan in Japan. Meantime, our man in a very dark place in Doha is Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, a rough day for Germany fans. The defeat against Japan and then... You get home just in time to see your next opponent, Spain, looking absolutely massive against Costa Rica. Yeah, not um, not the combination you want. Uh, throwing away the game, throwing what I thought would be the win away, but of course they're not even taking one point from a game that um, Germany really perhaps didn't dominate, but created enough chances in to win fairly comfortable was a huge... I don't even know what the right word is. Is it embarrassing? Is it uh, shambles? Is it uh, just a disgrace? I, I don't know. Maybe all of the, all of the above. Well, this World Cup was supposed to be about redemption, Rafa, after 2018, where you lost your opening game and crashed out in the group stages. And in that first half, you were all over Japan and it looked like things were going to be so much better. What went wrong? Well, Germany defended very poorly, which is never great. I think the second goal that they conceded was an absolute joke. You have two players playing offside and one playing onside, and then the result is one player running at goal and, and scoring from a tight angle. This should never happen in a million years. First goal also looked a little bit uh, soft, the way that Germany defended or didn't defend. And they kept Japan alive, in the words of Joshua Kimmich. Uh, they had them... By the throat and uh, just didn't follow through. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you went with throat on that. <laughs> yes. If you lose against Spain, you're out after two games, probably. If they lose, they're definitely out. If they draw, I think they're also in all likelihood out. So a, a win 
is the only way forward in our this group for Germany. They managed to win their second game, of course, in 2018 with their backs against the wall against uh, Sweden. But the problem is, I think that's, that Spain are, are much better. They look one like, like one of the best sides in the competition. And Germany will be second-guessing themselves after, yeah, after managing to really throw the game away. I, I keep repeating myself, but when you have chances, when you take a lead... You have to be a lot calmer, a lot more mature. And that was the point that uh, Ike Gunnar was saying. He said there was a lack of quality and maturity when it came to dealing with that lead and being clever enough to just manage the situation. Germany didn't. Their passing was poor from the back. Their build-up was bad. Japan were a lot more active, but they brought Japan back into the game by with their own sloppiness. I mean, aside from the psychology, I mean, if you were Hansi Flick, what would you do? Does Germany need to change something structurally? I don't think so. I think the structure was by and large okay. I thought uh, Gunnuan and uh, Kimmich were great in midfield. They had a lot of control. They, I think they played more passes than as a collective than, than ever have ever been played before in a, in a World Cup game. I saw the stats from Opta in the first half. But you need to have better decision-making when it comes to one or two positions and also the changes. I thought uh, Hansi Flick really disrupted what little rhythm Germany had by taking off Germany's best two players on the night, Jamal Musiala and Ilkay Gunnuan, right at a time when Japan were in the ascendancy. And I think that was a huge mistake. The sort of thing that doesn't really matter so much in the Bundesliga because you've got uh, tons of games. Even in the Champions League, you might get away with it. But in the, in the World Cup... Even Japan, even Saudi Arabia, even these kind of sides can punish you. And that's a harsh lesson that uh, Flick had to learn. And I hope that he will draw the right conclusions from it. All right. Well, the Spain game is coming up on Sunday and it will be huge. Uh, meantime, Rafa, before this clash with Japan, the German players making a public protest at FIFA's ban on the One Love armband, which is there to promote tolerance, diversity and LGBTQ plus rights, covering their mouths in protest at the kind of pre-match picture. Also, Germany's interior minister wearing a One Love armband as she sat next to Gianni Infantino, which made quite the picture. What's the reaction been to this back in Germany? And is it true that the national team has lost a sponsor over their, over the, the fact that they backed down over the, the armband? Yes, although that sponsor, a supermarket chain, had a contract that would have finished in October anyway. So all they did was prematurely and at no cost to themselves, uh, disassociate themselves from the German FA. An easy PR win. Was it a little bit cynical? In my view, yes. Does it show that people love to have the moral high ground than this? Yes. And I think it's a very distorted discussion to some extent because you had a a huge lead article in Bild saying Germany should be ashamed of themselves, you know, they've caved in. Real protest means suffering, means taking any consequences that might come your way. And I'm thinking this is someone who just writes this from the comfort of an office who has absolutely no downside to anything. Whereas if you go to the World Cup as a player, this is your career highlight, this is your livelihood, this is, this is your life. And to ask somebody, especially pretty young kids by and large, 
you know, jeopardize their sporting chances for protest, which at the beginning people said was meaningless because a lot of people said this this almond isn't really a proper almond anyway, so why are they doing this? It's just token gesture. But now the token gesture has become so important in the in the view of some that they say Germany which should have had should have risked going out of the tournament for that armband, which I think is a completely ridiculous take. Rafa, lovely stuff. Look forward to speaking to you again soon, perhaps ahead of Sunday. Ahead of Sunday would be good because I'm not sure it'd be worth speaking to me after Sunday at this rate. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Cheers, Rafa. Bye-bye. Bye. Rafa, he was so down. He couldn't he couldn't even bring himself to make a Wiz Khalifa joke, which I know he was planning to. Yeah. yeah. Bad day. But this is why we love the low-scoring sport um, association football because, you know, Germany have 3.3 expected goals, which is the most ever recorded by a team who've lost in a World Cup game, um, 1966 onwards, as usual. And it could have been different. You know, Musiala had that chance in the in the second half when he dribbled through what seemed like the whole Japan team and then put it over. I mean, if that had gone in, 2-0, you know, goal of the goal of the tournament. All good. But it didn't. But, but it instead didn't. we got this extraordinary Japan win. What a what a brilliant second half that was. And what a goal to win it by Takuma Sano. It, it was extraordinary the way that Japan rallied because most of that XG that Duncan mentioned was before Japan even had the first shot on target. But this was I thought was so, so interesting about the game because obviously in the first half you see Japan's right flank absolutely shredded. And then second half they struggled there as well. Germany kept on having chances, 70 minutes in, there's four saves from uh, Shuichi Gonda in the Japan goal. And, but at that moment, I felt that's when they went, right, we need to go for it now. And it started overloading going forward. And the moment that um, Minamino burst into the box, in front of goal, there's four Japanese players, and I think it's against three Germans. So the likelihood was we'll go, it's going to get to one of them. And after that, we, and we saw this yesterday with Argentina, I think the Germans were genuinely shocked. And that's, this is the moment where you have to go for it. And, okay, the, it was a long ball over the top, not the first one for a winner today. But the way the German line was slightly out of sync, the way he held off Schlotterbeck, and basic against this really experienced pros, uh, this, uh, this man, this substitute, um, fires into the roof of the net, one of the best finishes you can see. And it's just it looks extraordinary, extraordinary scenes. Yeah, Asano against uh, Neuer. Who, Asano had been facing Neuer in the Bundesliga a couple of months ago when he plays for Bochum, very much the bottom team in the Bundesliga. They got hammered 7-0. Probably got nowhere near Neuer. <laughs> yeah, probably didn't. There you go. Well, as Dan was mentioning, the subs were absolutely key. Uh, including bringing on a centre-back for a winger, which is not universally recognised as an attacking substitution, but in this case was was pretty influential. I don't know, you know what, I don't think it was that influential because no? Japan, Germany still carried on having chances in the second half. And I think this was at the stage where they were effectively going through three centre-backs and I think they were missing a body midfield. It was very curious to see Mitoma coming on and playing full-back, uh, so trying to shore up the back line. But there were stages in the second half where the Japanese players were visibly just hanging on. However, I think... It would be useful to contrast this with what we saw the day before, uh, Saudi Arabia against Argentina, which on the one hand was a slightly different tactical approach that really pressed the game and caught the Argentinians offside. But second half from Saudi Arabia was desperate, desperate stuff. And you could see how you know the goalkeeper was just basically in a rage by then. It was a little bit out of control. They were just basically playing on enthusiasm, where I thought with Japan, it was enthusiasm plus really excellent tactical substitutions and overloading Germany going forward at just the right time. And then just I thought they saw the game out actually quite comfortably in the end. So they've got Costa Rica coming up on Sunday. They've never been past the last 16. The last time they made the knockout stages was 2002. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they look pretty good for this group now at this point, no? 
I mean, if they beat Costa Rica, they're in a superb position. And, and as Rafa sadly admitted earlier, you know, Germany could be out on Sunday, which given, you know, given last the last World Cup was the only time they've ever gone out of the group stage, to do it twice in a row is is crisis time. And But this is what, it's a bit like England in 2014, you know, they lost the opening game to Italy and then there's almost no way back from that. Um it's it's so brutal World Cups. You can you know, and I do think that this this first round of games is going to be looked back on as a really unusual set of fixtures because so many teams came in and they didn't have warm up games. Um, you know, it's been a long season. Players carrying injuries, not really you know, uh, fitting together that well so far. So I think you know, if you're England or Spain and you've hit the ground running, all good. But yeah, it's it's, it's interesting tomorrow to see how Portugal and, and Brazil get going because. It's so easy just to, to lose these sort of games. Yeah, Saudi Arabia should have probably lost and Japan should have probably lost, but they didn't. Yeah, one thing we should maybe mention about Germany was the lack of a centre-forward, the number of chances they'd had. Had they maybe been able to feature a, a specialist in that role, it could have been a, a different outcome. But brilliant stuff from Japan. We were talking yesterday about how games like that Saudi Arabia-Argentina matches, when the World Cup comes alive, and very much the same feeling to this encounter. It's just, just sheer elation at the end. And then I mean, you could see the traveling Japan fans as well. And it's yesterday watching Saudi Arabia, and I have to admit, because it was Saudi Arabia, I was, you know, made up for the players and made up for mm. the fans. But because it was Saudi Arabia and all the politics around it and the relationships, and I, I have to admit, I was slightly more reserved. With Japan, I found it much easier to just let go. Okay. And that stadium, uh, I think, is the stadium they drew with Iraq 2 2 in, uh, which cost them a place at a uh, World Cup before. So, in the, in the same way that. You know, Zambia won the uh, AFCON pretty close to, to where the, their plane crash happened. You know, it's weird how geography and football sometimes comes together like that. Mm. Well, it was lovely as well to see the Japan fans back in Tokyo celebrating in the streets, but only once the traffic lights had gone red and then rapidly clearing out again once they returned to green. So mm. David Prowse would be proud. Indeed so. Well, we've touched on Spain there, and maybe we should talk next about what they did to Costa Rica. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Spain 7, Costa Rica none, nil, mm. zip, zero, zilch, in fact. Nada. <laughs> Nada, indeed so. Spanish goal scorers were Olmo, Asensio, one from Fernand Torres, and the second half got underway and he got another one. Then Gavi got one, what a goal he got. And then Soler and then Morata. Have I missed anyone out? Is that seven? That's seven. Right, and they got four in the second half after scoring three in the first, which I... I was quite thrilled with. Is this the best team we've seen so far at this World Cup? The team that enjoyed themselves. They enjoyed playing their game. They've set the new passing record in the first half. Um, and the team that felt very much comfortable with how with, with this slightly more aggressive, perhaps, version of Tiki Taka. But you could see, you know, in the build-up for most of the goals, they would pass, they would pass. It's almost like, you know, the the, the opposition would fall into a coma and then they walk it, walk it in and suddenly turn it on, walk it in the score. But I thought a lot of those goals were just absolute quality execution. Of course, the standard goal is Gavi's. You know, everybody loves Gavi, but the way he took it was absolutely beautiful. How did he take it, Sash? Well, to execute a volley coming from the left with the outside of your right and mm. ping it off the post is quite, quite magical, quite yeah. magical. Pretty special. Uh, I also like the fact that, Duncan, you mentioned before this, Spain won the World Cup in 2010 by only scoring eight goals in the entire campaign. Today, they already got seven. Yeah, I think I prefer this Spain team to that one. Have they gone too early, though? Do you Maybe. worry? I mean, I think um, I think Uruguay beating Bolivia 8-0 in 1950 is the last time a team scored that many in the group stage and gone on to win. Um, but Spain have got more goals in the World Cup after one game than Gillingham have scored in League 2 this season. So, um, I mean, that's something for... If you're Spanish and you live in Kent, I mean, I would, I'd get out there and... <laughs> And publicise that. Gavi, youngest goal scorer for Spain ever in a World Cup history, and, and the young youngest goal scorer from any country at the World Cup since Pelé in nineteen fifty-eight. I mean, it's it's not just a great Spain team, but it's also a pretty young Spain team. Uh, well, it's an interesting combination of age and youth because if you look at that midfield, you got Gavi and Pedri, mm. like the first pair of teenagers since nineteen sixty-two, starting for a European team at the World Cup. But it's anchored by Busquets, like cheesecake. Uh, mate. <laughs> Maybe what Luis Enrique has done um, is eaten the cheesecake, oh no, uh, not eating the cheesecake, but he managed to um, execute this perhaps transfer of generations, which is so difficult to do. Uh, and maybe we're seeing it before our eyes. Because, I mean, also this is the same team that has Aspiliqueta at fullback. What? I mean, he, was, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't trouble today, but he's not exactly a spring chicken. Other stats include the fact that the XG was 3.48 for Spain versus none for Costa Rica, none. They didn't have a single shot on or off target. Only the second team ever to do this in the World Cup. After Costa Rica back in <laughs> Again. Uh, 1990 against Brazil. So 
I mean, Costa Rica, they like a lot of people on social media, they seem to be labouring under the impression it's still 2014. Um, they, you know, that team was good in 2014, obviously got through the, through their group, but they just looked complete. I mean, the uh, the sinister Opta supercomputer obviously had Costa Rica as the, the lowest chance to get through, mm. which I think, you know, give it a pat on the on the mainframe, wherever you pat a computer. But um, yeah, I think what we didn't see was that it is a, pretty much a straight shootout now between uh, Japan and Germany for the second place. I mean, you're, still, you're saying they're still laboring under the impressions of 2014. I mean, they had Yeltsin in midfield, so I'm thinking 90s. <laughs> um, but the end, Yeltsin couldn't help them. Um, I think with this game, I, I, one thing made me quite sad, Kelo Navas. Yeah. I think that's, that's the end of him. I mean, three or four goals today, maybe eight years ago, he would have saved them. But today, just mistakes doesn't get across as, as, as fast. The weirdest thing I saw in that game was, and this feeds into Kayla Navas, is that Costa Rica took a goal kick, like the old goal kick rule. He passed it to a defender who was stood on the edge of the box and he waited till it got to the edge of the box as if you couldn't go in the penalty area. And I was like, that kind of summed them up, really. They're kind of operating on a on a rule book that doesn't really exist anymore. Steam, team stuck in the past. Mm. Mm. Sad. All right, well, we'll see what happens to them against Japan on Sunday and Spain will take on Germany. Is there any way that you you can see that not going a very, very bad way for Hansi Flick's side? Well, it's it's weird because this, these are the two teams that just set passing records in the first half. Mm. So who's going to outpass who uh, would, be, would be interesting because certainly it's going to be a different game for Germany. Um, I mean, I expect it should be a different game for Spain as well. Uh, so, but a, a real clash of stars, and maybe they—it's just gonna go turn into this fight. As no, I'm gonna dominate the ball. No, I'm gonna dominate bo- the ball, and it could—it's um, probably actually a fifty-fifty. Really? Mm, I think so. Sasha's calling it as a fifty-fifty. I wonder what the evil supercomputer that your lot says. Well, in terms of getting out of the group, ninety-two uh, percent chance for Spain. Yeah. Um, Seventy-two for Japan and Germany down on thirty-three. So that is a seismic, a seismic shift. Um, certainly is evil supercomputer has been wrong before yeah mm. I think Rafa would be calling that a shismic <laughs> shift or something like that anyway uh, let's move on also Wednesday in Group F a pretty remarkable game between Belgium and Canada you're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson sponsored by LifeScore Bet late on Wednesday night Belgium won Canada none in Group F. Sasha, why does that scoreline not tell anything like the story of this match? Well, because it was the old smash and grab for Belgium. A cultured long ball over the top. The only real chance that Belgium had won them the game. Whereas Canada had had the chance to go uh, take the lead with that, the, the penalty early on. Alfonso Davis, who'd been a major doubt with their best player, be able to play in this game. He did play. He did take the spot kick. And unfortunately for him... It was all too easy for Thibaut Courtois to to save it. But so many chances in that first half, they were all over the Belgians. Well, they'd surpassed their entire shot total from 1986 after 32 minutes of this game. So it was, I I said to Sass during the game, I don't think I've seen a team play both simultaneously brilliantly and terribly before as much as that because they, they were great, but they also made some really bad decisions at certain points. Um, and they really kind of ran out of steam towards you know towards the end of the second half. They they really should have got a couple. I mean, Belgium were just turgid, really. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne felt bad for him just playing in a in a position in a role that he's you know his pass completion was sixty nine percent, which is you know mid eighties in the Premier League, and 
Eden Hazard. That's the longest he's played in a game all season, and he I think he kind of looked as it looked like that when he came off. You know, this their, their average age of the team was over thirty. It's this golden generation is creaking, and yet they got three points. I mean, you said that Canada ran out of steam. It felt like you know Belgium ran out of steam before kickoff. I mean, rarely have I seen a team at the World Cup um, being barely able to move. I mean, you saw sort of Belgium trying to break and, you know, they were not breaking at any pace whatsoever. So it's actually interesting now to see this group. I mean, I think, you know, Belgium-Croatia could be um, could be one of those games. Yeah, we've said it before, but it's like that Simpsons clip, isn't it, of the of the two midfields just passing in slow triangles. Um yeah, I'm not looking forward to that game. Duncan, give us another uh, stat to illustrate just how many chances Canada had. Well, they had more shots than England had against Iran, but they did it before half-time, which is impressive. They also had, they've had more touches in the opposition box than Spain. Only France and Germany have got more so far. So The same Spain, Spain team that beat Costa Rica 7-0. Yeah, so, I mean, Canada can't, couldn't have really done that much more, I don't think. They, you know, but... Um, There's one thing that yeah. they, they they really could have done. What, what, what do you think, Sasha? Is this going to be their kind of brief, the moment when they almost grasp glory, or, or do you think they're going to build into this World Cup? No, I, th- I think I think this this is not it. I mean, this is not the end of Canada. I mean, I think all about perspective. Like, look where they started this qualification. They had to qualify from the very start of the Concacaf qualifiers. They started off, I think, against Bermuda. Uh, I think beat them five one. They they have they have come a long way. Um, they have, I think, a lot more to go. I think this team is definitely here to, you know, to feel what the big tournament is like. Okay, they don't want to bomb, but their big, their big target is 2026, and I think we should all bear that in mind. Today, I think what hasn't, what hasn't helped them is, yeah, decision making when they finally go to the final bit. But again, in those situations, I mean, they could have had a couple more penalties. They're up against Thibaut Courtois. There was a couple of shots today that maybe a worse keeper. Um, doesn't save or makes it a bit more hash off. So one thing I would say, though, I think if you look at you know second tier nations when they try to pay at this at this pace, they cannot keep for the entire game. So I think we saw the last twenty five minutes their legs really went. Um, but I think overall, you know, you are starting against Belgium, second in the world. You give them a great game. Yes, it's a missed chance, but I think the future can only it's onwards and upwards. I think for them. Well, they'll be back in action on Sunday against Croatia, a Croatia side who drew earlier in the day nil-nil with Morocco. Yes, they did. I didn't mind it. A lot of did people, you not? No, well, I think with this World Cup on four games a day, it's a bit like, you know, a, a test match or a Tour de France stage. and You don't want full-on action early doors. You need to ease into the day. And I right. thought... You know, it was it wasn't a great game, but it was it was nice enough. But it was a bit like eighty for two before lunch, to be honest. Yeah, yeah was, which isn't great. Well, you, know. you, you could get on with other things while it was happening. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, well done to Morocco and Croatia. Then, uh, Sasha. I, I think also looking at that Croatia Morocco game again. Look at how Canada played against Belgium. They could possibly re- repeat that against uh, against Croatia. But they're going to have to be a bit more watchful in midfield because I thought, yeah, the, the Belgian midfield wasn't great today and we know that's where all the creation experience is. Okay, well, still looking for their first World Cup goal ever, Canada. Of course, we had a, a lovely piece with the Joshua Cloak on the show yesterday telling us about the journey they've been on and, and uh, we're trying to catch up with him ahead of that Croatia match as well. Uh, meantime, next, uh, we'll have a few thoughts on what's coming up on Thursday in the World Cup, including Portugal's debut. Thank you. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's what he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area and... Uh, Oh, sorry, I've just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis, The Athletic. Know the game, love the game. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. There's a special offer this week where you can purchase a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the next 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash totally for details. All right, coming up on Thursday at the World Cup, Group G gets underway with Switzerland, Cameroon. Uh, that's at 10 o'clock UK time, 1pm in Qatar. Then the other two teams in that group, Brazil and Serbia, will be facing off in the late game Thursday. Can Mitrovic shove yet more criticism down Sasha's throat? In between, Group H sees a very World Cup-sounding Uruguay-South Korea. Will it feature Sun Heung-min? Big question there. And then, then you've got Portugal-Ghana. Oof. Who are you looking forward to seeing in action on Thursday, Duncan and Sasha? Serbia, uh, yeah. Brazil, obviously the standout game. Um, Brazil looks strong. Mm. Uh, but Juninho Pernambucano uh, gave an interview, I think it was yesterday the day before, where he pointed out that where Brazil might have a problem is at fullback. Mm. Uh, even suggesting that perhaps move Fabinho to his old role uh, at fullback. And guess what happens on, right, on the right-hand side? It's, it's Filip Kostic steaming in and putting in crosses for Vlaovic and Mitrovic. So perhaps this is where, I mean, Serbia, one of those dark horses, often these teams get talked up and then flop. But I think in this situation, I think Serbia could make a statement tomorrow. So I would say, yeah, I fancy them for a draw. 
Right. I mean, it's been the World Cup of upsets, and Sasha, you're calling that one for Thursday. Duncan? Yeah, I don't disagree. I think this is a World Cup of teams. Some teams have really good strikers, and it's making a big difference. And some teams don't, and unless you're Spain, and that's fine. Don't worry about it. But um, I honestly think Mitrovic is going to have a really good tournament, and uh, there's no better way to start than uh, roughing up Brazil. So, yeah. Crikey. Wow. That's the late game on Thursday. Before that, we've also got the uh, debut of Portugal in the competition. One Portugal player has been making headlines even before the action begins, and that's Cristiano Ronaldo. First of all, that interview, all that unhappiness with swimming pools and that, now Man United tearing up his contract. He's unemployed. What are his prospects? What are his team's prospects in Qatar? Former Benfica keeper, now football writer, José Delgado, joins us to tell us more. Jose, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, ahead of Portugal's opening game, you've got an unemployed skipper. That's not the first time for us. During um, Euros uh, 2000, uh, we had the same situation with um, our best player, it was João Pinto. Uh, he just left, had left Benfica and he was not still at Sporting. So he went to the Euros without club. We are used to the situation, but uh, of course uh, it is uh, interesting. Nevertheless, uh, I think uh, it's a good uh, good news for Portugal because uh, Cristiano's head uh, will be cleaner uh, after uh, uh, he decided his life with Manchester United, and now he can focus better on the on the national team. And I think it's also right. much better for Man United because. Uh, things were uh, in a way that had no no return. Absolutely. Portugal coming into the World Cup with uh, a fantastic result last week against Nigeria, 4-0. Uh, some people pointing to the fact that Ronaldo didn't feature it because of a, a bout of gastroenteritis and, and raising the question again of whether this side, with their various talents like João Felix and Bruno Fernandes, actually plays better without him. No, that is a very old um, <laughs> argument we have, but uh, we cannot forget that Ronaldo has more than 170 matches for the national team and he scored uh, almost 120 goals and is the top scorer in the world uh, in the international football. So uh, every time we have Cristiano we must uh, use him. And sometimes, uh, because we have very good players, uh, the football is more uh, attractive uh, without Cristiano. But uh, I think that uh, Cristiano will be playing tomorrow and I hope he, he will be playing uh, good because um, this time he has more to show than uh, in other World Cups probably because he must give an answer to uh, Manchester United and uh, to everything that happened with uh, him in the last four months. Absolutely. Josie, Portugal's form in the last 12 months hasn't been great. Only one win at last summer's Euros and then second place to Serbia in the qualifiers. What, what do you think of the prospects at uh, in Qatar? Look, until 2016, uh, Portugal had won nothing in the international scene. And uh, with uh, Fernando Santos, the, the coach, um, we won the, the Euros and then we won the Nations uh, League uh, the other year. And uh, from, uh, from, then, from then, we have many, many new good players. 
and um, I think that the um, that the Portugal must change the way uh, it plays because uh, during the the Euros and we have we have a very defensive team, uh, very concentrated on defense uh, midfield, and uh, that must uh, change because. Uh, we have other kind of players. In the last five years, we have fantastic players, and uh, and uh, we must we must use them. So for for the, for the game tomorrow with um, with Ghana, um, I think that uh, my, my my only doubt is that um, Fernando Santos will play with one defensive midfielder or, or with two. He can play uh, João Palhinha from Fulham and uh, Ruben Neves from uh, Wolverhampton. He still has William Carvalho from Betis. Uh, if he plays with two, Portugal uh, will be a much more defensive um, team with um, less quality. Because uh, if you just put one in, it was what happened against Nigeria. Uh, then you have Felix, you have Bernardo, you have Vitinha, you have Bruno, uh, you have Otavio, you have lots of fantastic players that, uh, that they play attacking football, but they also uh, are very good defenders. And uh, I think that it would be better for Portugal. But I don't know what's inside Fernando Santos' head uh, right now. And uh, this is the great debate, uh, how we shall play in midfield and uh, that will uh, determine. Uh, for, for us, this question is uh, more important than uh, knowing if Cristiano is going to play or not. I see. So, uh, well, Fernando Santos might be feeling a little bit nervous having seen some big names already getting upset in their opening matches. Uh, if you fail to win the group, you could well be taking on Brazil in the next round. So how worried are you about the Ghana game? Uh, no, no, nothing about Brazil. We are very much worried about Ghana because uh, African football is fantastic and uh, they are not the naive teams they used to be. Uh, the, the, their players, they are all in Europe. Uh, most of them was born already in, uh, in Europe and they have uh, the, um, the European culture of football and they also have the physical ability of Africa and uh, that makes them very, very difficult um, uh, opponents. We saw, for instance, uh, Netherlands defeating Senegal and uh, it was a very even match. Uh, Senegal could have won perfectly the, the game against, uh, against Netherlands. So we, we expect a very difficult game, a very physical game. But uh, uh, this is the World Cup and um, uh, things have been leveled. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan just uh, show what, what can happen if you um, try to make it uh, easier. And, um, and Portugal must uh, be very suspicious of this Ghana team because they have a good side and a very good motivation. There you go, Jose Delgado there. It's going to be an interesting matchup one Portugal-Ghana. Sasha? For me, the game in that group is South Korea oh, against Uruguay. Uruguay. Right. Why? I, I have to say uh, compliments to Sung Mo Lee, uh, who came on to speak about South Korea. I thought mm. he spoke. He made a very interesting case for them. Mm. He made me want to watch them play, the team full of Kims, defense full of Kims against uh, Suarez, Nunez, Valverde, and the Nico de la Cruz. Nico de la Cruz uh, from River Plate, I think maybe he's 25 now. 
this is probably his chance to shine on the world stage to get that move to Europe. So I think it's actually this game has a lot riding on it. Of course, to have the Son story as well. So I think a lot of narratives through this one. So I think tomorrow, should we say tomorrow today? I mean, call it what you want. Yeah. It's so, Thursday. So, so the last day of the first uh, set of group matches is, I think it's a belter. It's going to be a belter. I think these are the two most interesting, fun groups mm -hmm. as well. The, yeah. the kind of World Cup energy in the Uruguay, Korea, Portugal, Ghana group. I mean, that's kind of everything you want to tick in a, in a World Cup group. So, you know, maybe, you know, we already had as many nil-nil draws in, in this World Cup as we had in the last World Cup and the last Euros combined. So we are, you know, we, we're flitting between some games are not very good and some are absolute, uh, you know, humdingers. Obviously, Thursday is Thanksgiving, and I will be giving Thanksgiving to football for four games. All right. Let's hope none of them are turkeys. Yay. Fabulous. All right. Well, it's going to be great. And, of course, Thursday night we'll be here to review it all. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Dan in Japan and Jose and poor Rafa and Sasha and Duncan and special guest producer Steve and you, listener. See you in 24 hours from all of us here. It's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.